feels like yesterday. That case of, well, 20 years ago? Its twist and turns are still intriguing. <laughs> Where was I? Ah, yes. What an eventful turn of events, I must say. After being introduced to the cast of characters invited to attend Miss Annabella Bowton's 21st birthday weekend, also, coincidentally, when that vibrant young lady was to come into her rather immense fortune, I learned that Tawny, a flapper and longtime friend of Annabella, was very jealous of her all while being under the thumb of her boring and psychological game-playing fiancé, Anderson, <laughs> who was a chemist and an expert in crime and poisons. As for Annabella's cousin Ronald and his family, well, he was clearly in desperate need of money and unhappy with his wife. Not to mention I had witnessed the murderous bent of his daughter, Anne, when she had tried to kill her brother, the criminally inclined Donald. Ronald's wife, Susan, was a woman of good taste and fashion, if not in men, who yearned for the nicer things in life. There were at least two young men who were vying for the hand of the lovely Annabella. Lord Ashley Carrington, who seemed to always hover at her shoulder like an over-eager grasshopper, and the charming but apparently unsuitable Samuel, who had quite a chip on his Oxford-educated shoulder about not being the right sort to marry his Bella. Then there was Trescott, the vaguely threatening butler who had only just recently been employed by the Boutons, and most unforthcoming with his history, though an expert on local architecture and druid circles. Miss Elena Drake was the picture of the efficient housekeeper, with an almost supernatural ability to ascertain when she was needed. But I had seen her bully and threaten the young governess and companion to Annabella, Miss Simone Brotage. Something about an unsuitable letter. Yes, there was no love lost there, I'm afraid. And then there was the sweet maid, Ellie, who had confided in me her suspicions about the untimely demise of my dear friend Lady Wolverston's first husband, only to meet her own maker soon after. It was Mademoiselle Drotage, along with the Bowton children, who had made the discovery. It's Ellie. She's dead. It was the ghost who did it. You're such a little idiot. Ghosts can't kill people. I think it was that mass murderer that escaped last year from Dartmoor, right before Christmas. I just keep seeing her lying there. And, oh, Bella, this is going to sound so insane. But when I first found her, I thought she was me. Now that you mention it, she did look like you. You both have those pale gray shirts on, and that fair hair that's in a bun. And although she is much younger than you... Donald Manners, dear. Well, she is. Ellie had only just turned 18. But from the back, well, they looked like twins. Mon Dieu, I have felt someone following me. I felt eyes watching me, footsteps echoing where there should not be. All of this is in these last weeks. 
I dismissed it as my own imagination, but now I know. Perelli is proof. Someone is trying to kill me. We would never know Annabella's thoughts on this surprising declaration, for just at that moment, there was a decisive knock on the door. Everyone froze. Miss Drake, what are you looking at? Don't just stand there like a codfish. Go and open the door. Miss Drake. Ugh, where is Trescott? Elena Drake had indeed been frozen. The usual air of utter and superhuman competence had disappeared entirely. She was staring at Simone as though she was seeing a ghost. No, I saw, not at Simone, at something beyond her. Miss Drake. Oh, I'm sorry. I just... This is a shock. The door. There is a knock. I will answer the door, madam. Oh, well, thank you for doing your job. I'll go to. So frightfully sorry about those dramatics. I just really can't get over this foot and mouth disease. <laughs> I say, what's wrong with Simone? She looks as though she's seen a ghost. <laughs> She looks as though she's had quite a shock. I, I think I brought some stuff with me that could make her feel better. Uh, Samuel, can you help me assist Mademoiselle Jotage up to her chambers? Oh, Tawny, it's simply awful. Ellie, that sweet little maid, is dead. It's been an awful shock to you, dear Bella. Just awful. Dead? How? Oh, that's just terrible. It was meant to be me. It was meant to be me. It's all right, Simone O'Bean. We'll get some brandy in you and things will look up. You'll see. Meant to be her? But why in the world would anyone want to kill Simone? Well, that I don't know, but this appears to be a murder of opportunity. Incidentally, I must ask, is anyone missing a doll? Excuse me, but who are you? <clears throat> Forgive me, madam. Uh, he and the woman slipped right by me. Woman? What woman? Oh, I'm sorry. I telephoned Ronald, but I'm supposing he didn't get my message. I came up by the evening train. Bitsy! Why, how wonderful that you're here! Ronald, your secretary arriving is not important at this moment. Miss Carraway, please take the children upstairs. They can tell you about the disagreement they had yesterday. Oh, and I have some correspondence that I need to have addressed and posted. You can do that for me. Thank you, Miss Carraway. That will be all. Of course, happy to make myself useful. Come along then, children. Anne, that's a pretty frock. And Donald, oh, you're looking so handsome. Uh, Lord Carrington, how nice to see you again. Miss, Miss Carraway, is it? Yes, yes indeed, um, yes, very good to see you. Doesn't anyone want to know about the doll? Shouldn't Anne and I stay for that? Yes, yes the doll, and I'm so sorry to be blunt once again, but who are you? <clears throat> I am DCI Yulchrist, uh, Scotland Yard. Ah, I've heard of you. Ah, Mr Fig, it is an honour, sir. I had not heard you were in the area. Sheldon and I are old friends. I had invited him for the weekend. Are you telling me that we have two Scotland Yard detectives here now? <laughs> well, technically only one. I have, of course, been put out to pasture, so to speak. Nonsense. We are all ever so grateful that you have the time to be with us, Mr. Finn. Yes, I feel that if we have dear Sheldon here, there is hardly a need for a second person of the law enforcement type. Oh, I'm afraid I'm nowhere near the esteemed brain that Mr. Fig always had been. I'm just working my way through the ranks in a more traditional fashion. I'm on holiday here and, well, I... Oh my God! Can we get to the point? Donald, go to your room. No, no, no. Let the young man stay for a moment. I would like to ask both the children about this. 
frankly, I didn't like Orcris from the first moment I saw him. He was a smartly dressed Scotsman with a particular manner. His hands never stopped moving, weaving patterns in the air as he spoke, and his eyes constantly shifted around the room. It gave the impression of a man who was conducting some sort of imaginary symphony. As for the doll he was brandishing, it was a sad sort of affair. It looked as though it was just a clothespin, one of the thick wooden types that had some grey clothes wrapped around it and some yellow wool for hair. I saw that the child, Anne, was staring fixedly at the doll from under her thick brown fringe of hair that drooped almost to her eyelids. It made me wonder. I am sure that Detective Olchrist and I can work together in a seamless partnership to figure out what has happened to our poor Ellie. Well, it would be my honor, Mr. Fig. Uh, wonderful. Why don't we actually keep the children with the detective just for a little while? Lord and Lady Bowton, you can retire to your chambers. They'll be perfectly safe with me. Oh, but Miss Carraway is so good with them. Couldn't we have her stay with them too? Blast, Susan. They obviously want to ask the children about the damned doll. Did it occur to you that Bitsy is my secretary, and I may have need of her for more than just babysitting my offspring? Thank you, Miss Carraway. Ronald, she is so very good with them both. Fine. Bitsy, you eight down here with the children, and then come and see me first thing in the morning for my correspondence. Though I, I am paying you so much annual salary to purely be a nanny, it's quite beyond me, but... Come on, Susan. Coming, dear. Lady Susan, I would like to speak with you later, if I may, about a personal matter. I'm very busy, but I'll try to make time. Thank you for caring for the children. Well, all, it's been quite a mad evening. Why don't we retire to the terrace for a cocktail before we head to bed? Oh, yes, let's please do, darling. I'm frightfully parched. Yes, a martini does seem rather quite in order. I do hope we have some time to catch up, Miss Carraway. Oh, I am quite sure we will, Lord Ashley. Oh, I think I will retire. A drink this late in the evening is certain to just keep me up all night, especially after that dreadful incident. Oh, I shall speak to you all in the morning. Good evening. Good evening, Aunt Agatha. Come on, then. Let's get out of the way for these gentlemen. As the others all left the room, Bitsy Carraway set herself up unobtrusively in the corner. I had more chance to observe her. I saw why Susan Bowton would dislike her. She was a slim, put-together woman of indeterminate age, but I would guess not yet thirty. Her natural blonde hair prettily framed her face, and she had large, intelligent eyes of an azure blue. Her mouth was full and generous, and she gave off a general sense of self-confidence and purpose. I wouldn't think that many things slipped by Bitsy Carraway unnoticed, and I didn't think Bitsy Carraway could slip into most rooms unnoticed either. She was a definite presence, and had a distinct effect on those of us of the male persuasion. Yes, quite the femme fatale, I would think. Though she did seem to have a genuine maternal streak. She intrigued me. <clears throat> Miss Carraway, I do appreciate your staying here for the children. This shouldn't take too long. I am not a child. Donald, do be nice. It's absolutely not an issue for me. I intend to update my calendar and jot some notes in my diary. And I can assure you that young Master Donald here will think this is quite too soon for him to be forced to go to bed. I am almost an adult. I shouldn't have a bedtime at all. Uh, how old are you, my boy? I turn 16 on the 4th of this month, sir. 
Yes, quite an exciting age to be. It should be, but you see... Go on. Well, I ran into a spot of trouble at my last school, so Mama is keeping me at home and making me study with tutors, which is deathly dull. It wouldn't be boring if you could actually read. I can read! I just like to live my life. Not like you who hides with her nose in a book, or behind her hair like a stupid baby. Donald, remember what we talked about. Donald looked at Bitsy with something approaching adulation and immediately stopped his verbal attack. He shook himself like a dog from a bath and seemed to calm down. I'm sorry, sirs. I shouldn't speak to anyone that way. I'm sorry, Anne. Ah, it's all right, my boy. I had a sister myself once. I know how that can be. Oh, uh, no offence, miss. Oh, it's all right. Now, Donald, I do want to hear more about that trouble you had at school. But Papa made it all go away. He said it wouldn't follow me around. He talked to a lot of his friends and I... Not right at this moment. At this point in time, we need to discuss this. Now, as I mentioned, this doll was found under the body of the deceased. I take it you both knew Miss Eliak? Yes. She had been Auntie Aggie's maid forever. She was always nice. She used to stick me sweets from the kitchen. She was funny. She used to braid my hair for me when we were younger. I see. Now... Miss Anne, I believe? Yes, sir. I think that you've seen this doll before. Is that correct? No, I've never seen it, I'm quite sure. It's hardly a doll. Just looks like a stupid old clothes peg. With string for hair. It's rather ugly, in fact. Was it stuck in her side or something? Or in her ear? Ah, nothing like that, laddie. I can assure you. Uh, Miss Carraway, uh, would you mind taking Master Donald to his chambers? I would love to chat some more with Miss Anne here. Bitsy, I found an old chess set in the attic. Would you play at least one game with me? Well, you know I can never refuse a good game of chess. Come on, then. Gentlemen, do let me know if you need anything. Anything at all. She really was a charming woman. As much as I hated to admit it, I appreciated old Chris's policeman instincts. I had a feeling that the girl was holding back and couldn't tell if the rage I'd seen earlier was actually something else. Perhaps fear? But of what? Or whom? Now, Miss Anne, tell me a bit about yourself. But, but I don't know anything about the dwarves. Of course not. I just want to get a chance to speak more. Without that brother of yours hanging about. Oh, all right. You don't like your brother very much, do you? It's all right, Anne. Anything you tell us, we have to keep a secret. Isn't that right, Olchrist? Policeman's honour. Mm, well, he's not nice. He picks on you? Constantly. He, he blames me for everything. He always pitches me up and hits me, but only when no one is looking. He always calls me stupid. He's the stupid one, though. He always gets caught when he does idiotic things. He's been expelled from every school he's been to. I've never been expelled, not even once. I don't ever get I don't ever get in trouble. I'm a good girl. I'm a good girl. Aye, I can see that you are certainly that. Does your mother get annoyed with Donald? Oh, yes, all the time. Well, she does, but she still likes him better. Better than...? Better than me. She thinks she has to protect me all the time. She thinks I'm stupid too. I can tell from the way she looks at me. She's always looking at me. Then she sends Bitsy to take over because I exhaust her. <laughs> I'm sure it's just because you're her youngest. She just wants to protect you. No, she really doesn't think I'm capable. But I am. I am. That's why she sent Bitsy. For me. Is Bitsy nice to you? Yes. Yes, she's lovely. Donald loves her too. So does Daddy. They both want to marry her. But I know she's my best friend. She is. Anne... I'm very tired now. May I please go up to bed? Oh, uh, certainly, certainly. Anne had retreated. It was strange watching the poor girl interact with the world. Almost like she was pulling a curtain aside to let you in for a moment only to close it again a second later. 
It reminded me of my first thought of Boughton Manor itself, something that was shut away, dormant. But there was certainly something inside that was waiting. Yes, waiting for the perfect moment to show itself. A shiver skated up my spine. And why did you dress the wooden peg in grey? Because it was the... I'm sorry, I was confused. I've never seen the door before. Hmm. Well, what do you make of that fig? I think they're both disturbed children. The boy is a thief, and perhaps more than that. As for the girl... The girl is definitely a liar. But I am wondering... Yes, I am wondering... If she isn't something more? Indeed. Indeed. I think I'll go into the village tomorrow and see what I can find out about Ellie. I hope that you find something there. Something useful, I mean. I would hate for... I... I hope so, too. I hope so, too. I left Orchrist with his thoughts and his pipe. His slender conductor's fingers curled around the bowl, and a look of consternation furrowing his brow. It troubled me that our suspect in this seemingly pointless killing was a young girl. How could it be possible? Were we even thinking this? In all my years, I had never encountered a killer who was a female child. Still, I suppose there can always be a first time for everything. As I was about to ascend the stairs to head to my room, a raised voice caught my ear. It was my companion from the train, young Samuel Cowart. Look here, Bella. I got so blasted caught up with dealing with your French friend, I've barely had the chance to see you. And now I feel you're giving me the old brush off again. Sammy, darling, I'm so sorry. I just... Well, to be honest, I'm just... exhausted. <laughs> I've already been sort of dreading this weekend as it was, and now I feel so selfish when that poor little girl is dead, and I can't help but blame myself. Oh, I've been a selfish fool, Samuel. A terribly selfish fool. <laughs> oh, there, there, old Bean. You're not selfish. Why... You're one of the most generous and wonderful people in this village. Oh hell, this country. What am I saying? This world. <laughs> you're only saying that because you're my best friend, Sammy. I wouldn't be best friends with anyone who was a... What was it? Oh yes. A terribly selfish fool. <laughs> Oh, Samuel, I do love you. Oh, Bella. Oh, I love you too. They were both such nice young people. I was feeling a bit of a cad and was about to head forward on my journey when the voices continued and my curiosity prevailed. Oh, Samuel, I really can't do this. I just can't. I'm sorry, I... I know the timing is off. It always seems to be. Bella, look. I actually need to speak with you about something. And it's a touch awkward, if I'm honest. Oh, nonsense. You don't have to worry. Ask me anything. Well, look. I know you don't really see me as a suitable match for you. And I know it's impossible because of my father. Samuel, darling, you know it's not as simple as all that with me. I don't give a rat's about your family standing, or lack thereof. And I am about to be a very wealthy woman. Then... then what? Why won't you consider me? Oh, I, I, I didn't want to go down this rabbit hole again. Oh, Samuel, you're the greatest friend I've ever had. Ever. I couldn't imagine my life without you. It's just, well, we don't have a romantic relationship. I always feel like, like... Like what? Like I'm your best girlfriend? 
Your closest maiden companion? Oh, no, no, not that at all. You're more like the brother I never had. Ah. I see. Oh, Sam, please don't look like that. Sam, please. <laughs> Stupid me. Here I was, labouring under the misapprehension that it was dubious lineage that rendered me a less viable candidate than that grasshopper Ashley Carrington. But little did I guess that it was simply the fact that I hold zero physical appeal to you. Oh, Sam, uh, please listen. No, it's quite all right, Bella, old chum. Do you know that I actually didn't intend to bring up my lifelong love for you this evening? No, no, I actually had quite a different awkward question for you. Oh, please do ask it. I, I'm so sorry. Well, now, I don't think it's as awkward. Not now that we've clarified your position, so to speak. Let me be a touch more formal. Samuel, please don't be upset with me. I've been honest with you, and this night has been so... so much to take in. It's been quite a lot for me as well, old bean. Look, Bella, I love you. I've always loved you. You know that. Let's not muddy the waters anymore tonight. I shall continue to hold my craven hope that I can, through my brilliance of rhetoric and purity of heart, not to mention dashing good looks, win you over at long last. <laughs> if anyone could, oh darling Samuel, it would be you. Now, let us speak no more of such futile matters tonight. Let's shake on that. Deal. Thank you, Sam, for being so wonderful. Tis merely my good nature, old girl, and it paved the way for me to ask you this important favour. <clears throat> As you may recall, I am intending to occupy my postgraduate time by writing a book. A book that will discuss the many and sundry ins and outs of this family over the past century. You, my dearest and most gracious Annabella, have been generous enough to offer me a place to stay for the duration of this endeavour. Oh, Sam, that's the least I can do. And we will have a frightfully good time. Aha! But here's where we hit the sticky wicket, as they say. I have found myself, through a general lack of skill at being born into the right family and apparent lack of ability to marry into one, in a desperate need for immediate funds. I owe some debts to certain sources. Oh no, Sam. Do you? Oh, oh, it's nothing insurmountable. Just some tomfoolery on my part, I'm afraid. But it has rather painted me into a corner, so to speak. Do you need my help? I can see what... That would be an absolute lifesaver, darling. It's a matter of some 700 pounds. 700? But Samuel, that's so much! I know. I'm afraid I've been a blighter. What do you say, Bella? I'd be even more indebted than I am already. Before I could hear Annabella's response to this rather large loan request, I was interrupted as Simone Drotage appeared at the top of the stairs. Oh, pardon, monsieur. My nerves, they are still frayed. I did not know you were down here. As I crossed up the stairs to the landing to greet her, it occurred to me that Simone hadn't looked frightened, but more guilty. Curious. I trust you were feeling better after your rest, mademoiselle? Oui, much better, merci. Messieurs Anderson and Samuel were most solicitous to me. I was just going to get a breath of fresh air on the terrace. Would you care to join me? Oh, goodness, no. I think I'm quite worn out by all the excitement. I would think you'd be apprehensive about going out there so near to... Ah, poor Ellie. It is so tragic, n'est-ce pas? There was a slam of a door downstairs. Annabella Boughton whipped down the hall, a spot of brightest pink in each of her cheeks, and her eyes bright with excitement. Or perhaps anger. 
She swept past both of us. Good evening, Mr. Fig. Evening, Simone. I'm so glad you're feeling a little better. Bella, wait! Uh, oh, good evening, Mr. Fig. Are you heading to bed? I am indeed. It's been a long day. It has been so long. But I find I cannot sleep. I am going on the terrace for some air. I'll join you, if you would like some company. I would greatly enjoy that. Good night, Monsieur Fig. I watched the diminutive French woman descend the stair. She looked for all the world like a princess descending the grand staircase to a ball. And there was her knight in shining armour, with his hand extended decorously and his eyes fixated on her face. And I began to wonder. Yes, I began to wonder. Despite all the events of the day, or perhaps because of them, I slept the deepest sleep that I had in many months. When I awoke, I immediately reached for my trusty diary and jotted down some more notes. What is Samuel's family history? Why wouldn't Anne play with actual dolls? Who contacted Olchrist? There was a knock at my door. Opening it, I fully expected to see Trescott, but instead, I found Bitsy Carraway. I am so sorry to call on you at this hour. Oh, and in such an unorthodox way. I just made a rather odd discovery and felt I should inform you immediately. Please, Miss Carraway, no apologies needed, please. Would you like to come in? I would rather show you what I found, if that would be all right. Oh, quite. Let me just put on something more suitable and I, I shall join you. As I threw on my suit, my curiosity was piqued. I wondered what on earth Miss Carraway could have found, and where. I opened the door. Ready, then. I've sent the children out on the lawns with Simone. She's doing some French lessons with them. As I was picking up their rooms, that's when... Well, you'll see in a moment. You enjoy taking care of the children? I enjoy young people immensely, Mr. Fig. I also feel a lot of empathy for those two, specifically. Their lives aren't terribly easy. Their mother is... Oh, well, here we are then. We pushed open the door to the children's quarters. It was a medium-sized open area that had a corner stacked with books and a model aeroplane and jigsaw puzzles on the floor. There was a Victorian-era rocking course painted dark grey in front of the window. I had a similar one in my own childhood. The two bedrooms were at opposite corners of the far end of the room. Miss Carraway traversed her way confidently to the bookshelves and then began pulling them away from the wall. Miss Carraway, may I help you with that? Oh no, it's a lot lighter than it looks. Here, come and see. I walked over to where she was standing. Behind the bookcase was a door that was no more than two feet high. Miss Carraway had now got onto her knees and was crawling into the space. Uh, Miss Carraway? Yes, Mr. Fig? Would you like for me to follow you in there or... This is what I wanted to show you. I sat on the windowsill adjacent to the dappled rocking horse. The box was fairly heavy. I, I lifted the lid and it was filled with dolls. Well, not dolls exactly, but the pegs. Pegs that were carefully dressed like specific characters. Do you see? They're us. They're each dressed as one of us. She was right. There was even one for me, looking quite dapper in a silver grey suit. And there was Bitsy with blonde hair framing her face. Well, blast me. It is all of us. I take it these are Anne's. How did you find them? This morning when I got here, I didn't think the children would be awake as yet. So I opened the door as quietly as I could so that I could just sneak in and then wake them up in a kind way. But as I opened the door, I saw Anne coming from behind the bookcase and then pulling it back. Stealthily. Did she see you? No. I didn't think that would be a good idea. I I stepped back into the doorframe and just watched. 
Then, I waited before re-entering and made a lot of noise, like it was my initial entrance. Yes, yes, I think that was smart. What did you think she has been doing back there? Well, I do hope you'll forgive the presumption, but I didn't think she was telling the truth about the door when you initially asked her. And I wasn't convinced that she'd confided anything in you after I took Donald to play chess. I thought perhaps there would be something she was hiding. But these dolls, they're so accurate. She's put so much time in. There seems to be a purpose. I wasn't expecting that. But... Yes? She had this odd way about her. She crawled out from behind. Furtive, secretive, but something else. Was she smiling? Uh, yes. Yes, she was. How, how did you know? We heard voices coming down the hall. We sprang into action. Right, put these back. Like we never found them. Got it. What a capable woman she was. We had just pushed the bookcase into place and managed to stand right by the rocking horse as though we were examining it when the door opened. Bitsy, I want to play chess again. Oh, hello, Mr. Fig. What are you doing in my room? Donald, I need it back. Yeah, Miss Carraway wanted to show me this rocking horse, and as I had mentioned that I had one just like it as a child. Now, I have to take my leave of you all now. I'm sure you have lots of games to play together. Thank you so much again, Miss Carraway, for showing me. It has made my day. As I left the room, I saw Donald strolling up to Miss Carraway with a display of posturing youthful masculinity. Anne was standing right where she had entered. She was staring at Miss Carraway and her brother. Again, I felt that odd gnawing of anxiety. Mr. Fig, I am so sorry to bother you, but Lady Wolverston needs to see you right away. Oh, gracious, I trust all is well. I'm afraid not. One of her ladyship's rings has gone missing. She's convinced it's been stolen, sir, and wants nothing to do with that other policeman. How are you holding up? Oh, I shall be fine, sir. Ellie was a great deal of help to me, but Trescott is fairly efficient, too. Who is the butler before Trescott? I understand he's fairly new. Yes, sir. Old Selworthy was here before, but he had to be pushing 80, sir, and it was all getting to be a bit too much for him. He lives with his daughter and her husband in the village. And what about you? Me, sir? Oh, you mean how long have I been with the Boutons? Well, let's see. It must be about seven years now. I was hired by Lady Annabella's late father. The house was much happier then. Happier how? Oh, I'm not given to fanciful ways of speaking. I do hope you'll forgive me. But since their passing, Lady Annabelle's parents, I mean, it's been as though the house is just not full. Like it wants something more. And it's lovely having Lady Wolverston here, but the house just isn't the same. Ah, here we are now, sir. She's in quite a mood, I'm afraid. She opened the door to Lady Wolverston's quarters. This was far more luxurious than my humble abode. There were oil paintings all over the wallpapered walls and thick oriental rugs on the floor. The furniture was obviously Chippendale and the entire space had the effect on one of opulence and a bygone decadence. In the center of this luxurious spread sat my friend. <laughs> she looked like a a woman who has been hired to run an army and arrived to find it a circus. Miss Drake, there you are. Why was my priceless heirloom left where these marauders that I call family could find it? Oh, Sheldon, darling, praise God that you're here. These imbeciles don't know their arse from their elbow. Trescott, where is that man? Miss Drake, how can he go missing whenever he is needed? How? We'll go and find him, Mum. You have lost a valuable. A valuable? A valuable? Oh, my dear man, that is the equivalent of saying that the Great War was a disagreement in the Balkans. I have lost it. Uh, Aggie, do forgive me, but what is it? The ring. 
the only thing worthwhile my worthless husband ever gave me. It's priceless, centuries old. They can't even mine rubies and diamonds like that anymore. And I know they've probably taken it, they're all useless. Do you mean your family? My family? <laughs> Most of these people are tenuous relations at best. Annabella could have taken it just out of spite. Though, at least if she has, she'll probably wear it at dinner to taunt me and then throw it back across the table at me and laugh that irritating laugh of hers. Oh, the girl does have spirit. She doesn't seem the sort to do something spiteful like that. At least not from what I have seen. Lord Ashley has money. But maybe he thinks if he gets Bella that ring, she'd actually say yes. Oh, that would be his only chance. Then, of course, there's Samuel. He has absolutely no breeding. A breeding always tells, I say. He would probably take it just to show us upper crust what's what. Then Ronald. Oh, Ronald and Susan have neither money nor class. Tawny, she's wealthy, or at least she has land. But she has always admired that ring. Always taking my hand and looking at it all ooh and ah. And who knows with her? All those ever-changing moods. It wouldn't surprise me if she was a drug user, to be frank. And as for that milk-toast chappy she's dragged here with her... You mean her fiancé? Please. That chap's the sort that winds up in prison or on the gallows because they've stood the shadows too long. Oh, yes, they've stood and coveted. And then they just up and poison someone. Or whole villages sometimes. Oh, yes, he is definitely a poisoner. Though he may take the ring just to create something of interest about him. Lady Wolverston had never been one to pull any punches when it came to her acute analysis of those around her. I was certainly enjoying myself. Aggie, dear, why don't we have Miss Drake get us a cup of tea and then we can have a, a think through all the places this ring could be? Oh, that's if I can even find someone to make me a cup of tea. I don't have Ellie, and Trescott is never available when he's needed. I'm sorry, Mum. Miss Drake informed me that I was needed. Then where have you been, man? I've been ringing and ringing. Miss Drake is the epitome of efficiency, but even she cannot manage this entire household single-handed. My apologies, Mum. I was assisting in the garage, Mum. The motor was having issues with the brakes. Oh, that's it? I'll be next after poor Ellie. Oh, Sheldon, mark my words. They'll cut the brakes, and on my next trip into town... Oh, well, it'll be my last. I should add here, that was labouring under no misapprehensions that Aggie feared for her life. I think she was rather enjoying the theatrics today, as was I. Trescott, please bring Sheldon and me the tea tray. Sheldon, have you breakfast? It appears this household is in such shambles that we are all fending for ourselves this morning. Actually, now that you mention it, I haven't. Well, that settles it. We shall dine together. Trescott, please send up a full English spread. Yes, ma'am. Oh, and Ter Trescott. Ma'am? No dilly-dallying. The prospect of a full English breakfast and a chinwag seemed to calm down my irate friend considerably. Once the food arrived, in a remarkably fast time, if I do say so, we bunched our way through eggs, bacon, sausages, fried tomato and mushrooms, and chatted about our lives and other trivial matters. As our meal came to its satisfying conclusion, I asked my friend a question. So, confidentially, of course, and to your oldest friend, who do you think killed poor little Ellie? If I had to hazard a guess, I would say someone from the village. It was probably that young man of hers, the one that works at the garage. So you believe it was someone from the outside? The outside? Surely you wouldn't think it would be one of us. What possible... Oh, I see. But that is exactly what you are thinking. Intriguing. 
<laughs> I said no such thing. So you believe that someone in this household has the right psychology? Is that the newfangled word for murder? <laughs> yes, that is indeed the word. Well, if I had to put a wager on it, on who would have the right mindset, I mean, it would be Susan. Why would you say that? Well, I just remembered something Simone said after I heard them arguing, and it makes sense. Simone and Susan were arguing? Oh, no, of course not. Why would they? No, no, you see, it was when Simone was saying that Ellie looked like her, and that it should have been her. Well, then I knew it. It has to be Susan. But you just said that Susan and Simone didn't argue. Yes, of course they didn't. You're missing the point entirely. Let, let me elaborate. Yesterday afternoon, before the death, I was heading down to the lounge in the deck to have a little nap. It was so beautifully sunny, you remember. Well, I was awakened from my glorious slumber by two people's voices. They couldn't see me as the lounge has a terribly high hooded back. Susan, I am beyond exhausted talking about this. When I married you, I thought I was marrying someone of my own stature. Someone that shared my values. You're so common. You stupid woman. I do share your, well, whatever you call it. I just don't see the need to swan around with the right people the way you need to. No. You'd rather slum with the absolutely wrong types. I am well aware of what you... And just what exactly do you mean by that? You spend too much time in the city. I think all you do is... Well, you just want to spend time with her, away from me. I can't even clothe my children in decent garb because of your lack of ability to keep money. Meanwhile, you probably spent it all on her. <laughs> you are pathetic. You are, you're a pathetic Jealous woman, you're envious of Bitsy because she's younger than you. She has more brains than you and just more wherewithal. I am not jealous of some secretary. I am a Buckingham. Why would I care about some little common tramp? You're just fascinated by all things in the gutter. That's why you're drawn to her. You're so jealous it's making you sick. You're going to have another one of your infamous breakdowns soon. I can tell already. And, oh yes, you're, you Buckinghams, with your old name and your old and lengthy streak of insanity. Stop it! I am fine. The doctors all say so. I just want to make a nice life for my children and me. I just want a nice life. I am not insane for that. It is not too much. You are insane. You've probably passed it on to our children. You're so insane that you are the one that made me hire Bitsy Carraway. And I've regretted it ever since. I have. I'm sure you have. Even your own children prefer her to you. You're a disgusting, jealous, pathetic wreck of a woman. Well... Susan just sort of dribbled and melted onto the ground in tears. I didn't dare move a muscle. Darling, can you imagine how embarrassed she would have been if she'd known I'd overheard? Or even worse, how embarrassed I would be if she wanted me to comfort her. 
Aggie physically shuddered at the thought of having to comfort poor, pathetic Susan. Though, I would have thought it would have been rather the more humane thing to do. Anyway, so that's how I know. Because she's jealous? Of course not, because she is insane and comes from a long and distinguished line of insanity. And of course, Ellie was blonde. She hates Miss Carraway, who is blonde. She sees another blonde head, equates one is as good as the next, cautions her, and there you go. Psychology. It is a, a theory. But in this particular case, Lady Susan never had the opportunity. We were all in the same room. Well, I offered you my scientific thoughts. I can't solve everything for you. I just know she has the right psychology. So if any of us killed that poor girl, she fits. Now how about my ring? You will find it for me, won't you? I don't want to get that other Scottish policeman involved when I view you as my own personal Sherlock Holmes. I will certainly do my best. Oh, you are such a delight. Can you run along now, darling, and try to find it? All this excitement has quite worn me out. I'm going to go have a little lie down. In the lounge again? But of course. Where else? As I was exiting back to my rooms, I did a little snooping of my own. For just before I turned the corner to enter my hallway, I heard voices. You're not holding up your end of the bargain? I stuck my neck out for you. All right, look, I'm trying. It's not as though I'm an older hand at this. You should be better at this, though. It's not that hard. If you don't get it together, they're going to find out. Now that ring's gone missing and the girl is dead, we have two detectives here. Do you understand that? And they're both celebrated brains. You can't mess this up. Elena, look, have I ever let you down before? I always come through, love. Always. I need you to get it together. I'm about to end our agreement if you don't. This is your first and final warning. Oh, you've always been such a stuck-up piece of work. You don't get to be the boss of me all the time. Prescott stormed around the corner and barreled into me. The menace I had initially felt when meeting him was clearly apparent in that moment. So sorry about that, uh, sir. Uh, just trying to be on time for Lady Wolverston. <laughs> An Olympian task, my friend. No apologies needed. Despite my casual tone, my eyes and ears were very much in high gear. When I turned the corner, the capable and elusive Miss Drake had vanished into thin air. I wrote a few more notes. Trescott. Who is he, really? Elena Drake. Relationship to Trescott. Buckingham, family and sanity. Dolls. Where on earth was this all leading? I needed to talk to that objectionable man, Ocris, to see if he had made any headway into investigating who could have hurt poor Ellie. Sweet girl she had been. It seemed so much longer ago than yesterday that she had been in here chatting to me. I decided to write some more notes, as well as some other correspondence, and then perhaps an afternoon nap before the birthday dinner. It was my holiday, after all. I was awakened to a light tapping on the door. It was Trescott, looking very much the archetypal British butler now. So sorry to trouble you, sir, but Lady Annabella just wanted me to check in with you, uh, sir, as they are enjoying cocktails and preparing to dine. She missed your presence. I wiped the fog of sleep from my eyes. How had I slept for so long? Out loud, I said, thank you, Trescott. Please tell her ladyship I'll be down immediately. I saw that the weather had turned dark and ominous and there was a heavy drizzle of rain sleeting down. As I entered the dining room, the tension was palpable. It was a more expectant room than the previous evening. 
Mr. Fig, we were so worried you wouldn't make it to dinner. So pleased to see you. I am so truly sorry. I had been doing some menial tasks and then intended to have a 30-minute shut-eye. And, well, here we are, many hours later. Do you take any sort of sleeping pills or draughts? Oh, I do indeed, I do, but certainly not this afternoon. Ah, well, sometimes those do have these sort of lingering effects. Anderson can literally tell you the side effect and even the smell of every poison in the world. You're a genius, darling. It's just my job. I do know quite a bit, though. <laughs> I once heard about a chap who was on a train, in an isolated car, mind you, and dropped dead. They initially thought it was a bee sting, as he had what looked like an allergic reaction to a sting on his neck. But it turned out that some bloke had actually shot him with bee venom from a poison dart. And he had used some sort of blowgun to shoot it from an entirely different compartment. Just incredible. I always think people who are that daring and creative should get away with whatever crime they commit. Stuff and nonsense, old chap. You can't seriously support criminals being unpunished. I know it sounds odd, but that sort of brain, that person is an artist. But if they weren't punished, what would happen? They would have to live in secret. Or would they just keep killing? Could they stop? I think that sort of clever person would have too much control to keep killing. And as for hiding in secret, well, that seems such a waste. I think what Anderson means is that they could write something along the lines of a, a how-to book, and then everyone would know how clever they are. Well, a how-to book is a bit of an oversimplification. I just think that if you possess the intellect to... Ah, so they could write an ultra-glamorous confession and then put it in the papers. Oh, how divine. You could even make it into a guessing game. I'm sorry, I am completely at a loss here. Why would a criminal confess? and then people try to guess who they are. For the sheer hell of it. <laughs> Annabella, really? I don't think you should be talking like that. I think if I could commit a really clever crime, like an artful, beautiful crime, I would absolutely do it. What sort of crime would you commit, Bella? A bank heist? You're about to be rolling in the old dough anyway. You know, I think I would commit a murder. Just one. But I'd make it someone that no one could ever suspect me of killing. And I'd of course have an unshakable alibi. Why, I'd probably hire someone like Mr. Fig here. Or Detective Olchrist, of course, to solve it. Oh. Like a wee game of cat and mouse, eh? I knew a murderer once, but you'd have never known they were one. Sheldon, you can tell us that story later. It does sound frightfully exciting. Mama, may I be excused from the table? Or, poor little baby is frightened. Anne, you'd probably just cry and run away if you tried to commit a crime. Oh, I wouldn't say that, Donald. She did almost kill you yesterday. <laughs> You horrible man! How dare you! She did not! That was just childish high spirits! I've seen childish high spirits like that in duels to the death! <laughs> Susan, enough! What about you, Miss Carraway? What crime would you commit if you could plan it to be a work of art? Oh, goodness, I... I don't think of myself as very artistic. I'm more just organised and methodical. Darling Bitsy could probably organise a world takeover on her night off. I just like things to be in order, is all. Darling Bitsy hung the bloody moon. Yes, Bitsy certainly knows how to adapt. Hmm, Bitsy? Oh, I'm really quite dull. What about you, Mademoiselle Jotage? How would you commit a crime? I... Uh, 
I have such bad luck. Everywhere I go, I am death. I am not an artist, I am just death. Excuse me. Poor Simone. Maybe we are all just awful people. We did just have a death here yesterday. We shouldn't be glorifying crime. I would also love to change to a different subject. A subject I love most. Oh, Bella, get ready. <laughs> My dearest Annabella, I have watched you grow into the beautiful woman we see before us today. And I have always thought, my God, that is the only woman for me. And I intend to make that promise an official one to you this evening. Bella. Beautiful, beautiful Bella. Will you do me the honor of being my partner in life and forever? I present to you this ring that has been in the Carrington family for centuries and will find its home again on your finger. Ashley had obviously been nervous and in his cups for much of the day. Annabella didn't only look surprised, she looked vaguely disgusted. Samuel's face had lost its pleasant openness and was now dark and brooding. Tawny looked amused. Anderson had no expression. Susan still looked furious at Ashley, and Ronald was staring beyond her at Bitsy. Donald was looking at his father with an unreadable expression on his face. Lady Wolverston, my dear friend, looked delighted. Her hands were clasped in expectation. Bitsy was looking at Anne with a concerned expression. Anne was staring at the window. Her mouth was opening. Look, it, it's back. It's the ghost. Just then the wind whistled, thunder clapped, and lightning lit the window where something white was indeed floating. Then there was a bang, and it all went black. In the ensuing darkness, there was a cacophony of voices and sound. Take your hands off my pocket. Trescott and Elena soon emerged with candles, and everyone settled down at the table once more. Doesn't this feel fun? More like a Halloween pageant than a birthday dinner. One could almost imagine the ghosts of one's ancestors being present in this lighting. I do love it. Ashley, dear, do let's table that lovely thought you had until you're a little more sober. We have light and we can look for your darling great-great-grandmother's ring. You won't forget, though, Bella. How could I? But what are we going to do about the ghost? You all saw it this time. Aye, we did. I'll go and check on that for you all. I invited myself to this dinner anyway. Uh, no, please, Lady Annabella, I insist. Well, let's give a toast to my cousin. My very rich cousin now, I may add. Hear, hear. Oh, that reminds me. I went into the village today and met with our family solicitors. I made a change to my will, so now, no matter what, you won't get any of it, Ronald. Let's drink to that. Oh, here, here. To your long life and health, cousin. Your, your health. health! Cousin Annabella, have you decided for whom you will be voting if 21-year-old women get the chance this year? Such rot. I've been against female voters from the start. I'm with you, old boy. Too emotional. They don't think with their brains if you get my drift. Oh, you're both just crushing old boars. I'm afraid you're going to get left behind in the rest of this century. Why, I predict that by the end of it, we won't even need men to have babies. What a disgusting notion, Tawny. Oh, Lady Wolverston. If any of us were still around, we would love it, I am sure. Uh, Mr. Fig, can you tell us about the murder that got away with it? Now? What? What a lovely idea, darling. Please, Mr. Fig. Bella? Bella, are you all right? 
But Annabella was not answering. She was staring into space, her lips moving frantically. She raised an arm as though to point and then collapsed. Bella! Someone get Orchrist! Bella! It seems she's had some sort of fit. Oh, my poor fiance. What happened? Is she playing a game with us? Let me through. Let me see her. As Ochris made his pronouncement, I saw him slip something from next to the body into his pocket. He then reached his other hand and grasped something else from the floor. Something with chestnut hair. He held this aloft for all to see. What is that? Is it dressed like her? Look. It's another death doll. It's no game, Miss Belmont. She's dead. 